Welcome to the Chief Executive Connector Podcast, where you will learn to build a world-class network and how the future of business development is community creation. My name is Pablo Gonzalez. I will be your host on this ride, and by following along, you will learn how I bring a bunch of different, interesting, super talented, wonderful people into my life, how I use that skill set of connecting with each other to build a business, and more importantly, how I learn from each and every person I come across to add valuable skill sets, add valuable perspective, and add valuable access to my life. It's gonna be a blast. You're gonna meet some of the most fascinating people that you've ever heard of, and you're gonna get to learn from each and every one of them. Hit subscribe. I want you in my life. I wanna be part of yours. I'm obsessed with adding value and we're gonna have a blast doing it. Now, I'm gonna kick it off with a little song by one of my best friends band from Miami, Florida, The Stiltsville. One, two, I want a two, I want two, go! So make sure you listen to all the episodes, which brings us to the beginning of this episode two, a conversation with my buddy, Nick Molina. Now, Nick was at one point the youngest CEO to take a company public. Since then, he has been a serial entrepreneur. He's had a lot of success. And in this episode, we talk about how to grow a company quickly through marketing spend, how important hiring the right people and associating yourself with the right people are for a company and who you invest in and how to choose what people to let into your life and why. Since you're listening to this episode, you probably don't realize that talking to Nick is like talking to Sylvester Stallone. He's a big jacked, good looking guy that looks a little bit intimidating, but once you start talking to him, you realize he's just a hardworking guy that really cares about his friends and cares about getting stuff done and accomplishing things. So I hope you really enjoy this as much as I do, and I hope that you stay to the end where I will reveal the nuggets and the summary of everything that you have to learn here. Enjoy. How do I look? Do I look okay? Does my 305 hat look douchey enough? I don't know who dressed you in the morning, but you must have no mirrors in your house. <laughs> my, wife, my wife goes, uh, como una caja fuerte, que solo tú sabes la combinación. <laughs> I use this content, right? Because I'm here with Nick Molina, a serial entrepreneur that I met in a very interesting fashion. Thank you for making time with us, Nick. How you doing, man? Doing good, man. Awesome. Awesome. Nick, what are you up to these days? And then I will reverse engineer kind of how you got there. Back in the startup game, man. You know, that's, that's kind of my thing, the startup. So I uh, got pulled out of a short retirement to, uh, to jump into the pet space. Um, and specifically in a big way in the pet food, the super premium pet food space, we're launching a company called Hungry Bark. Um, and uh, it's basically delivering, it's, it's, it's a dollar shave club model mm-hmm. for super premium pet food. So we found inefficiency in the, in the pet food space, an underserved market. Uh, we found an inefficient uh, supply chain. And, uh, and so we are uh, kind of positioning ourselves to take advantage of those inefficiencies and, and applying pretty much that subscription-based dollar shave club direct-to-consumer model to super premium dog food. I get it. I get it. So what, what, makes, what makes a pet food super premium versus just top-of-the-line pet supermarket? You know, kind of the process, how you make it, our stuff is slow-cooked. The ingredients, obviously, are the most important things. Uh, you know, we're talking about dog food that's infused with superfoods, superfoods like turmeric, um, uh, you know, legumes, I have trouble with that word, Um, (laughs) lamb, salmon, um, you know, coconut oil, 
and the really super premium ingredients, kind of the superfoods that we like to ingest ourselves because we know they're so beneficial for us, now being put in a format so that dogs can ingest them as well and reap the benefits as well. Are dogs going to get as jacked as you are right now? <laughs> Not unless they're working out. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see, man. We'll see about that. That's cool. So did you, did you start in the pet nutrition space? Like, I know that you just got on the board of advisors for, I guess it used to be called Simple Puppy. Now they rebranded to Barksy. Yeah, that, that, that's a, uh, that's run by a guy that, uh, that used to work with me over when I was in, uh, in my private business in the vape space, uh, mm-hmm. in our IT department and um, he branched off and started doing his own thing. And, you know, he reached out and asked for some mentorship, some work, some help. So I was already, uh, I have made a small investment through endangered investments, my investment firm, uh, in another business in the pet space that serves the uh, emotional support animal space. So we connect uh, pet parents, and in that business, we connect pet parents with mental health professionals and help them get the certifications necessary for those ESA certificates. Um, and then so, so I kind of wet my beak a little bit in the pet space for that business, um, and then uh, David from Barksy reached out to me and asked me to mentor him a little bit and give him a little bit of guidance. Uh, and so I did that. And then, you know, being in the pet space and seeing all the excitement, all the things and all the spending and the growth going on there, that kind of led me to think a little bit bigger picture uh, into the number one spend for pets, which is, you know, dog food. Got it. Got it. So that got you into so. So funny story about David, right? I, that I interviewed that guy at Emerge Americas. And then did that, did that play into it at all? Cause I know he, he, he told me that he, did you guys connect, reconnect on LinkedIn or had he reached out to you beforehand or something like that? You know, you posted an interview uh-huh. and I think I commented on that interview. I'm like, ah, I know David, good guy, you know? Yeah. And um, I, I don't know, he reached out to me after that, and I guess maybe he saw the post, or yeah. maybe he was going to reach out to me anyway. I mean, you know, I don't know. I had, I had recently left the company that I sold. You know, I, I sold remember. it. I stayed for a transition. I had recently left there. So he probably got wind of that. And, um, you know, the power of social media, right? I mean, I changed, I think, my status update in LinkedIn, and all of a sudden, boom, there shows up David and a bunch of other guys, and you know, everybody wants to try to figure out how to work together. And everybody's got an opportunity and so forth. So, it's funny, man. I, you know, the more I, as you know, I'm a fanatical networker and the more that I am diving into this world of social media and content, I, I just see it as networking on steroids, right? Like in, in, in what other way could have a, could you come top of mind like that randomly because of, I happened to be working some, you know, conference where I interviewed him and I put it there and then, and then you comment. So then he thinks, Oh man, I should reach out to Nick. And by the way, his status just did that, right? Like it's just like, it has so many externalities for, for networking and for staying top of mind and staying in front of people. I mean, it's super powerful. I mean, the social channel is super, super powerful. And, you know, when used properly, it's very powerful as evidenced by that, that interaction that took place. And then obviously we've all seen the negative side of it and, you know, um, you know, the bashing and the saddle bullying and the, you know, kind of the addiction that, that some, some of the people have to social media and the Instagram models and all that stuff. So, you know, it, it's a powerful tool, and when used in a uh, in a positive way, you know it, it can it can be very good. Um, yeah. And when it's used in a way that you know is um, is questionable, obviously it can it can lead to, you know, to bad things. So you know you, you just you just gotta be gotta exercise good judgment and use it the way that it's uh, that it's most beneficial for you when you're not hurting anybody and, and you're being productive. I mean, it's it's an incredible network. It's an incredible way to communicate. And it's, incredible. it's an incredible way to interact. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I try to focus more on using it for business and for contacts and for that type of engagement. And um, I try not to fall into the trap of the, uh, the other stuff. But you know, every now and then you get roped in. <laughs> it's hard, man. It's hard. Anytime, anytime I post something that I'm particularly proud of, like I really have to be like, dude, just put this phone away. Stop, stop counting your likes. Like stop, <laughs> you know? But that's just me because I like attention. Nick, when I first came into your stratosphere, I, you were introduced to me as the youngest guy to ever take a company public at one point. Can you tell me that story? Yeah, that was a long time ago. Now, you know, now by today's standards, that, that's certainly not the case. I think the year was um, 
97, so I was 29 years old. And um, we, uh, I had started a company uh, freshman year of college with a, uh, with a schoolmate. Uh, and, and it was in the cell phone space. Um, I um, had been working at uh, Cellular One, uh, selling cell phones in the very early days. And you know, most of the sales back then were commercial to commercial accounts, not really a retail product yet. It was too expensive phones for 3,000 bucks still at that point. Um, but I really felt that consumers were, that this was something consumers wanted, and not only wanted eventually, they wanted it now. Um, I mean, I was getting approached all the time, where do I buy this for myself, where do I buy this for myself? I was almost selling to corporations. So branched out, um, took a chance, and, uh, and started a company called Let's Talk Cellular. Um, became Let's Talk Cellular and Wireless, and um, started out of the back. I mean, it's a long story, so I'm not going to get into all the, all the uh, uh, intricate details, but basically started out of the back of a van, uh, ended up opening up kiosks in malls, and then stores within malls and strip centers. Ended up with 289 stores uh, across the U.S. and Puerto Rico, and um, and then event, uh, ended doing an IPO uh, with Merrill Lynch and Solomon Smith Barney. And uh, you know th these were the days when going public, you needed to have three years financial statements. You typically needed to have gray hairs, which I got plenty of now, but I didn't back then. Um, and so it it was hard. It was a hurdle. It was it was something that uh, that, that 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 didn't come easy. Um, but we had a really compelling story. We were a market leader in what was clearly, I mean, when, when we went public, cell phone penetration in the U.S. was 16%. 16 mm percent -hmm. of people had a cell phone. And now that number's got to be close to, close to 100. You know? Yeah. So, so, it's, you know, so, you know, we were in this industry that everybody knew was going to be the future. We had started early enough and grown fast enough to be market leaders. We were the largest specialty retailer selling cell phones. Um, you know, the idea of selling phones in the mall was non-existent. We invented that really for the most part. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's kind of how it happened. You know? And I think I was uh, 29 years old. Then. Amazing, man. So you start, you start selling out of the back of a van. Give me like, give me like milestones of from back of van to retail, like kiosk at mall, is that is that the next one? Like start a kid buy a kiosk in Dayland, and you think you think it's gonna work or? Yeah, so 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 back of van, um, got a small strip little location. Uh, we would run newspaper ads in the paper and, and deliver the phones to people. Um, uh, then uh, I mean we, so we're getting into the details now. So. We were, we were young, naive. Uh, Bell South Mobility at the time wouldn't give us a direct dealership, right? So the, the cell phone model, the way it worked is, uh, and it still works that way, you know, we would buy a phone for, let's say, $500 or $600. Mm -hmm. We would sell it for $200, let's say, right? Towards the end, once the prices had dropped. We would get a $600 commission from the phone company for activating that phone, $800, and there's your margin. So because we were too green, too young, too inexperienced, Bell South wouldn't give us a direct relationship. So we ended up going to Bell South's largest uh, dealer. And we said, look, you're getting 600 bucks a number. You keep 50 bucks, you give us the rest, you just shuffle paperwork for us. It was totally legal, we became a sub-agent of that dealer. Um, so we started producing, started cranking our numbers. We quickly became larger than the core business that sub dealer was doing. I mean, we were the largest active at our cell phones. We did it within eight months in South Florida. And, and, and how are you? How are you acquiring customers? Was it all newspaper ads? We were, we were running. It was all back. There was this thing called the, the newspaper back then. And were yeah. Ads, you were running a newspaper back then, right? Uh -huh. going, and so yeah, we would run these these crazy. We take four pages in the Herald in the business section, and just price and, and, and clever marketing, clever marketing messages, and we would just crank it, man. I mean, we would just. It was crazy. We'd spend 12 grand on an ad for a week and we'd run three of them a week and just the phones would just light up. And so, so, so the, so the iteration of testing, like, you know, cause I'm, I'm deep into the digital marketing world now. Right. And like the iteration is so fast. So would you guys, did you guys start with like, all right, man, I don't know, let's spend 500 bucks on a newspaper ad and test it and then just start scaling upwards every like two weeks and would you split test different messaging stuff? Like, how does it, how does it correlate, right? Yeah, we, we, you know, we, we come up with a clever ad and uh, there was no $500 ads. Ads were 5,000 and up. Yeah. Um, so you, you, you know, you roll the dice, run the ad, 
and you cross your fingers and hope that it works. Um, and, and they typically did. And then the next week, so we'd run that ad until it started going stale. We started seeing numbers kind of dip. Competitors start copying our ads. Remember, the, the ad would run every Monday. So Sunday night we'd run to the uh, to the to get the you know the next day's paper and we'd see what our placement was and who else was advertising. And it was kind of a game, right? Because when, when the flip phone came out, for example, we were the first ones to sell it for $29.99. That's $2,999. So then it became a game, right? So then we would do $29.99 this week, and we knew that our competitors, they were going to say, well, screw that. We're going to do it for $28.99. So then we would think ahead, and we'd go, well, we're going to win $24.99. So it became this game of did I outwit them, or did they outwit me? And so, um, listen, luckily the business was so good and the demand was so good that there was enough money for everybody to make. Um, but, but we clearly were very aggressive. And mm -hmm. so, so anyway, back, back to the story. So we got to this point where we were the largest activators, yet we still didn't have a direct relationship. The company that we were activating our phones through decided not to pay us, went out of business, and left us holding a, a, the book for about 250000 bucks. Wow. And back then, we were growing so quickly that we were literally check to check. I mean, we were, it's, we were running to the mailbox to get that check. So when they went out of business, um, and left us in a real dire position. So, you know, we, had, we went to our employees and we said, listen, guys, we want to pay you. We don't have money. We got a plan. We need to stay and work for free. About 80% of them did. How many employees at the time? I think we had probably 20 guys at the time between the warehouse and the drivers and stuff. Yeah. Wow. And then, so we went to our vendors and we said, we know we owe you all this money. And, you know, so we're going to bust their ass. We're going to do extra work. We're going to start doing you know, things on the weekends and stuff to try to generate this money, but, you know, we can't pay you right now. And if you squeeze us, you're going to file us, you're going to make us file for bankruptcy and we're not going to be able to pay you. Uh, but if you work with us and continue to sell us new phones, you know, so we can, you know, catch up, we will put get on a payment plan and we'll pay you down. So they agreed, they bought in and they agreed to do that. Our attorney had said, just file for bankruptcy, you guys are young enough. We looked at that and said, well, because we're young, we're not going to file for bankruptcy. We're not going to take their names, there's no way. So. What we started doing is we started saying, okay, what can we do now to generate incremental revenue so that we can pay down this debt, right? So keep the regular business going, which was keeping itself afloat. What can we do incrementally on the weekends, right? So we started doing trade shows, the home show, the boat show, the auto show. And we started seeing that wherever there was a lot of foot traffic, there was an impulse buy. People were just spending it. They were going to the Grand Prix, the Miami Grand Prix, we had a booth set up there. And we sold like 60 phones on the weekend. So we're like, holy shit, man. Like, where can we get this kind of traffic every day. Where can you find this kind of traffic every day? The mall. So, yeah. So, so you know, made some phone calls, got rejected a lot. Told them, we're told that we were put on a five-year waiting list. Dayland was the number one mall in the country at the time. So I had to get a little clever, get past the secretary, past, past the wait list and everything. And we did. We figured out a way to do it. And uh, opened up our first store in that store. Ended up breaking records for uh, uh, Simon. Back then it was called the Barbalo. And it was, we were doing $2 million out of 144 square feet a year. What, you you got to give me the move, bro. What was the clever move to get past the gatekeeper? Is <laughs> so that I called up and I, and I said, uh, I'll never forget, the guy's name is Gary Lewis. I said, um, is Gary Lewis there? I had to change my voice because I used to literally call like two or three times a week. And she said, sure, who's calling? I said, this is Dr. So-and-so. Uh, I, got, I got the test results. So she said, okay, hold on. Put me through. And I'm like, Gary. I'm like, yeah, hey, it's that you're Nick Molina, right? I'm like, yeah, man. I said, because you call me every day. I'm like, I promise I'll never call you again if you just hear me out. And so sure enough, he heard me out. I gave him my pitch. I had like three or four minutes to do it. He said, I'm going to be down in Miami next week. Let's meet at the mall. Went in there. I said, I want to be that location. He goes, I'll give you this one. I said, I want that one. He gave me that one. And opened up and the rest was history. Yeah. Amazing, man. What a great story. Yeah, so then we pivoted from there. And, you know, we went from you know, doing the deliveries and the, and, and the newspaper ads and stuff to just feeding off that free traffic that was around us all the time. And, you know, so one store, we opened up our second store down in Turmoff, and up our third store at Bayside. Mm -hmm. And then we decided to go out of, state, out, out of the city, went to Orlando, went to Atlanta, went to New York. And 289 stores later, you know, <laughs> there we were. Amazing. So yeah. super, super rapid growth once you unlock the, the mall concept. Yeah, super rapid growth. We took it to 14 stores organically ourselves. Then we brought in an angel investor. And I think he put in, um, I want to say like 200,000 bucks, maybe 150,000 bucks. And he took us, that took us you know, to, to probably like 21 stores uh, with, with the, our, our cash flow plus his money. And then, um, and I think we got some bank debt as well. 
And then we went and, uh, and, and brought in a VC, uh, an HIG Capital, which they were just starting up. Now they're a fledging, uh, you know, uh, private equity firm down here. Yeah, I know HIG guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, our, we did our deal with, with the founders, Tony Tamer and, and Sandy Menemene. So, um, that, they were just starting. We were like their first deal. And so, so they put some money in and, you know, we did that. We started a roll-up strategy, started acquiring some small little local operators in different parts of the country that were trying to copy our model. And, you know, eventually the IPO. Amazing. So yeah. what's the, uh, at that point, when you're, when you're looking at IPO, is this a, all right, man, time to cash out? Is this a, do we want to cash out or do we want to do X? Like, what were your options at that point? Yeah, so, so cashing out on an IPO, especially back then, is a facade. It doesn't happen. I mean, you become a millionaire on paper, right? Yeah. Your shares are locked up. Uh, you've got small windows to sell. Um, you know, it doesn't look good, you know, when the founders are selling. I mean, now it's, it's a little bit more accepted that you're going to take some off the table. But back then it wasn't. And so um, we didn't, didn't take anything off at the IPO. Um, I think, you know, we started selling a little bit of shares a little bit later. But initially the idea was, no, no, we wanted, we wanted the money to continue to grow. We wanted to roll up, right? So we, there were a lot of small 10, 20, 5, 8, 10, you know, uh, store chains all scattered around the country, very fragmented. And we wanted to roll them all up and make them into less large sellers. Very similar to what, as a matter of fact, we used to reference this all the time to the way in Blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say. Yeah, I was about to say. So late, late 90s, Dry Clean USA, Blockbuster, Waste Management, yeah. all that stuff's happening, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. exactly. So we, we were very much, I was very much, um, you know, uh, kind of motivated and, 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 and inspired by uh, Heisinga and the Blockbuster model that he, that, that he implemented. I mean, we used to use that on our pitch, actually, and, and compare ourselves to them. So, um, yeah, that, that, that was the plan. That was the plan. That's, that's what we did. I heard, I heard Mark Cuban saying something along the lines of, before they used to, you used to be able to, it's something about how IPOs have changed and how IPOs are now offered to a different type of, I don't know if it's harder to make an IPO or it's harder to buy into an IPO and that's limiting upward mobility for the average American kind of thing. Do, do you, uh, does that make any sense what I'm saying? I haven't heard him say any of that, but I haven't read everything he said. Yeah. Um, IPOs are a lot easier to orchestrate now mm -hmm. than they were back then. You know, okay. as, I, as I mentioned earlier, back then there were certain criteria. You had to be in business a certain number of years. You need to have three years of audited financial statements. Startups don't audit their books out of the gate. Right? So, so, you know, for us, you know, I think um, we had, we had, we were in business, I think for oh, this is 97. So we were already in business for about eight years when we decided to go public. But, you know, we didn't have audited financial statements. So we had to go back and audit them. Um, and, and so, you know, you had to kind of jump those those thresholds and, and meet those thresholds and jump and, and jump through some hoops to get to the IPO ready, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 so today, you can go you can go to market with a concept and no revenue, right? And, yeah. you know, and, and and you could do that, you know, right at your formation if you really wanted to. Um, some companies go quick, some companies decide to hold off, like Uber, right? Um, but but the, the the requirements are a lot softer and looser than they used to be back then. In terms of access to IPO and investing in IPO, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I don't, I don't, I don't really do that. Okay. Yeah, it might, be, it, might, it might be the access to investment. So let me ask something else, man. This is your, this is your 20s, right? Like you're, you're going through super, super rapid business growth. Like there has to be a certain level of what the fuck. And, you know, you're also becoming a man. Like tell me about your personal life during that time. I think it was a man already. I mean, I, I always... Um, well, I thought it was a man. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, I mean, I, I, I always, I was ahead of the curve, right? So, um, I got married young. Um, I, I did high school in two years. Like, I always wanted to be ahead of my peers, right? Um, you know, if, if high school took three years, well, shit, I'm going to do it in two years, right? Mm. I'm going to graduate early, then I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. So, yeah. I, you know, for me, I, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't awed by it. I really wasn't. I guess it was just too busy to, to stop and really realize what the hell was going on. I'm more odd by what I did now, right? But I did it back then. I'm more odd today sure. than I was back then. 
I mean, right then I was just in it. I'm like, yeah, this is what, it, what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm going to do. This is enough. In my mind, I wasn't doing enough, right? So, um, yeah, you know, I just, you know, you, 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 you shut down, you don't, you know, you focus, put the blinders on, you know, you, uh, you shut out the noise and, and just execute the plan. And, and you know, I, I had a clear plan in my mind. I had a clear plan on what I wanted to do. And, and, and so I just put my, put my head down and, and, and did that. And... I mean, what about like your circle of friends? What about like, I mean, were people, did you just kind of like stratify past that? Were, were you still able to be relatable to people? Like, how did that work? Yeah, I mean, it, it did create a little bit of a, um, of, of, of a, I guess a bridge, right? Mm -hmm. Or a gap. Um, no, I mean, they were still my friends, right? But nah, dude, I can't go backpacking with you right now. I got to worry about meeting payroll, right? Or yeah. I, I can't, I'm not going clubbing, you know? I got the wife at home and you know, I got work in the morning and I got to do this stuff. It, just, it was different priorities. And, yeah. you know, not that what they were doing was wrong. There was nothing wrong with it. That's, that's what they chose to do. But, but for me, it just didn't fit with my long-term goals. So I'll, I would say that I, I'd missed out on some of that, but I think that it was well worth it, right? For me, it was, it was super well worth it. And, and those friends today are still friends. Um, but there was a time that maybe we didn't hang out as much anymore, right? Okay. Um, and, and, you know, so, you know, they did their own thing. And it's almost like if I had moved out of town, which you can yeah. probably think, right? So they're still friends. You still have friends down in Miami, but you yeah. don't live here anymore. So you don't see them as much. You don't hang out with them as much. So I, I, I would kind of compare it to something similar to that. Okay, that makes sense. And what about, like, when you, when it went IPO, I imagine you had a moment of, like, celebrity. Is there, was there, like, a delineation between, like, people that you met before that and people that you met after that and kind of how you approach relationships? And, like, is there, was there a moment where it's like, well, did this guy want something from me? Like, has that kind of, is there a timeline with that? So there was a moment of celebrity in that, but that moment started before the IPO. I mean, sure. the, the press down here, remember, this was before it was cool to be a young CEO, before, before it was common to be a young CEO. Mm -hmm. So the Miami Herald was very, very good to, to, to my partner and I. We were, we were you know, front page of the paper often, you know, we were in the Wall Street Journal at some point, at one point, I mean, so we kind of had that, and and I remember a story. I was I was on my way to one uh, to to see an acquisition or visit an acquisition somewhere, and I'm getting on the plane and I'm walking through first class into coach because that's where I would sit. And somebody said, "You're that cell phone guy, right?" And I was like, "Holy shit, really?" I was like, "Yeah, I, that is me." <laughs> you know, so that was kind of that one moment. Um, so I mean, within the local community, there was a you know. People knew who Let's Talk Solider was. We had stores everywhere, very highly visible. The yeah. paper wrote about the two young founders. So, you know, there was some recognition. Um, but, but I don't, you know, I don't think, I mean, listen, man, we, 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 both, the both of us remained humble. I mean, that, like I said, I always felt like I was underachieving. Like I always felt that, because it's hard. You know, to start a business is hard. So yeah. we're struggling and we're trying to make payroll. And I'm like, fuck, what am I doing wrong, man? I'm, I'm screwing this up. You know, why is it so hard? I'm screwing it up. Like in my mind, I was not executing properly, right? Because we were coming across all these hurdles. And so um, I never felt that, that like any kind of sense of entitlement or anything like that. And I think that's kind of where you were going with. So, so I, and, and, I, and I never thought that uh, people were trying to gain something from me. or, or and, and, and if they were, I think I was pretty aware of it. Do you still... You know, I struggle with that, man. I struggle with the whole, like, I, I look at more what I left on the bone than, like, what I ate. Do you still, is that something that at some point in your life you've gotten better at? Or is that something that still, you know, you, you, you still have it and, and you still see that happening to you? There's always some of it. I mean, honestly, I've been so fortunate in, with my timing. It's almost a joke amongst all my friends. Like I've, I've got this fucking crazy timing, you know, and I think some of it is luck and some of it is just being aware and, and not being greedy, right? I, I don't need to get that, all the meat off the bone. I'll leave a little bit on there to mitigate some risk. Um, but, you know, I got out of the cell phone business, I think, at the right time. Um, you know, my, my, my stunt in the, my stint in the, uh, in the satellite TV business, I got out at the right time. Mm -hmm. uh, the most recent business, the vape business, I sold it a year before all these headlines. You told you told me about that exit, man. That was it. Tell, tell me about that story. Yeah, no, listen. You know, the, the vape business was under, uh, you know, was under attack. 
and we were thriving because the growth was so good and the product was so good, right? I mean, don't get caught up with all the headlines about marketing to kids. Uh, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. You know, if there was a one or two operators doing it, fine. But the industry as a whole never did that. Yeah. Um, and in terms of, of risks and danger, it, it's a much safer product than, the, than traditional cigarettes. It's not for non-smokers, but if you're a smoker, vaping is unquestionably the way to go. Mm -hmm. Doctors everywhere agree on it nowadays, but in the early days, nobody knew, right? So this was kind of under attack. It was unregulated. The regulators come in. I just saw so many what ifs, what ifs, what do we do with this happens, we do this happens. And I'm like, you know, let's keep it, but the growth is so good, right? So we hung out, we hung out, we hung out until I finally decided to pull the ripcord, you know, about a year ago and said, okay, you know what? I think it's probably time. And um, sure enough, we sold in September of last year. And, you know, I guess eight or 10 months later, all this craziness starts. And, and you know, market caps get destroyed and crushed. And, yeah. and we would have been, been doomed, right? An exit would have been almost impossible. So, I mean, so I've been just, I mean, I've been fortunate, man. My, my timing's been really good. So to answer your question, do I look back and think, I mean, I think I've gotten not usually so good that I haven't really left a lot of meat on the bone, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I don't really think that question is, I don't think I can prob probably answer that question. For that okay. Reason. I mean, I see, I'm looking at Rapid Satellite and I see you got out in July 2007. <laughs> That sounds like perfect timing right there, right? Sold it to Circuit City. Yeah. Paid cash. A year later, Circuit City's out of business. <laughs> <laughs> right? Was that was that also just looking around and being like having this presumptive feeling, or was that a was that a fortunate thing, or? You know, I think that I would chalk that one up to just like I didn't put a for sale sign on the business, right? Yeah. We got we got solicited by wow. Circuit City, the solicitor, so. I'd love to take credit for the timing on that one, but no, they, they came to us. Now I could have, you know, I could have stayed, no, I thought we were worth more. We got less than we were worth. And I remember how going through the conversations and the decision. I'm like, do we hold out and try to get more money? And then, then again, that's when it goes to don't be greedy, right? I mean, mm -hmm. don't be greedy. So mm -hmm. I was like, bird in the hand, let's go, let's take it onto the next deal. And so luckily, luckily that worked out for that. Amazing, man. So I'm, so I'm looking through your LinkedIn, kind of like I look through like an artist's IMDB, right? Um, after, after Let's Talk Cellular, you kind of have this like pattern of like you're in businesses for it seems like four to six years. Is that from a formula that you came up with? Like, like did you take the lessons learned from Let's Talk Cellular in some kind of formulaic way that, that you continue to apply and you got into like a really good rhythm of building things out? Or what, what were the lessons learned that went forward in, in, into throughout, throughout all these different ventures? I mean, Pablo, there's always lessons, right? So, yeah. you know, the business I'm doing right now seems to be the easiest one for me. It's going so seamless, and I've got the best team that I've ever had. And mm -hmm. it's very early on. It's, you know, we're less than six months in. Um, usually it takes a year. For me, anyway, it's taken years to develop really strong teams and prior businesses here. I've done it quicker. We're scaling quicker. We're building better and smarter. And I think that's a result of, of, you know, stacking all the different experiences. So, yeah, I mean, they get easier. They, 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 they definitely should get easier in terms of execution, right? Mm -hmm. Every industry may have hurdles and so forth that you have to deal with that the other one didn't. But in terms of execution, you, you do stack experiences. Um, I don't think there is a formula. I mean, I don't, I don't go into a business. I never go into a business thinking, okay, so the plan is to sell in four years. The plan is to sell in six years. I go into business to make money, to make it efficient, to have a positive impact, right? Hopefully the product you're selling is, is a feel good type product. Um, and so you, you, know, you create jobs that take, I get a tremendous amount of pride in the fact that X number of families put food on the table because I came up with this idea and I executed it and I built it and I made, I made, made it happen. So That's when awesome. you run a business in that way and you run a business to be efficient and to make money, inherently the, the, the buyers are gonna show up, they're gonna come knocking. So because I'm not greedy in the sense of wanting to hold out and try to get all the meat off the bone, I end up usually selling. And so that, you know, if that's a formula that I follow, okay, then yeah, then, then I would call it a formula. But you know, if, it's, if it worked out the four years, four years, four years, that's because typically that's how long it takes for a business to dominate an industry, I think. Sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, um, to, to get in there, do what you do, work out all the bugs, pivot a few times and find your place. Mm -hmm. And that's probably, you know, I think two years you're still a startup, three years you're starting to kind of 
you know, feel your way around by four or five years if you've been making money along the way and, and, and picked up a market, then you should be in a pretty dominant position. So what are you doing right now at Hungry Pet Nutrition and Barksy and like these in these ventures that you weren't doing before? Like what kind of what a, can you can you give me some kind of best practices of how you approach stuff now that pattern recognition that you've been able to reapply and the way that you see building the business now? Yeah, so so Barksy, I'm I'm just an advisor. Okay. So sure that I'm not active, I'm not involved. I, I speak to those guys, you know, periodically, sometimes weekly, sometimes you know, every couple of days, okay. sometimes go a few weeks without talking. Mm -hmm. Um, but like like Hungry Bark, the, the best example that I could explain to you um goes on on, on the uh, the team that I'm building, right? Okay. So the team I'm building right now, like I said earlier, is a powerful team, I mean, they're just sharp, bright, bright, bright folks, right? And in the past, what I've done is I've been a little call it cheap, right? And, and so I don't want to spend the extra money. I'm bootstrapping, I don't want to spend the extra money. And so if I need to get a CTO, right? And I've got this guy that's 125,000 and this guy that's 75 or 80,000 dollars, I'm gonna go for the 80,000 dollar guy, right? And both gotta have a decent skill set. But I know that this guy's better, but you know what? I don't need this guy right now. I'm going to go with this guy. I'm going to save a little bit of money. And that always ends up being the wrong decision because he's going to take you so far and then you got to drop him. Then you got to bring in another guy. Now he's got to go through the learning curve. Now you've got disruption in his department. So it ends up costing you more in the long term. So I, I've seen that one of the biggest takeaways that I've applied to this new business is to let's go out and let's find the rock stars day one, right? Even if I don't need them, even if they're going to be underutilized day one, let's bring in those rock stars day one and let's let them help us get to the point where they're being overutilized for that you know so 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 that, that that's a great takeaway interesting man yeah that's uh that's bar man you're you're barking up my tree man not to pun intended right like i i the hidden costs in people and the the idea that your best investment is your investment in people absolutely speaks to me and i actually had when I was going through my journey early on and you and I haven't really caught up much, but things are going pretty well for me, man. Like I'm, I'm I now have five clients. Um, you know, I think I'm going to end the year at over 10 grand recurring revenue per month. Uh, but early on when my, I was just, you know, at, at kind of rock bottom and I was testing to get another job. There was this company that is organizing like these epic tailgates that needed a business development guy that could get them in and sell sponsorships and, and whatever. And I reached out to these guys. I'm like, listen, man, I'm an expert networker. I do all this stuff. I can speak. I can MC. I can do all these things. I'm launching my own business. You know, either way, I'm proving that community creation is a future business development. You guys in tailgates are doing this community stuff. I have this vision. And they're just like, man, I just think you're just kind of overqualified. I'm like, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to bring somebody overqualified that can get you to the next step, even if they're overqualified for that first step. Right. Like, and, and that kind of, speaks to exactly what you just said, right? Like they, to think a couple moves down when you're hiring somebody, it pays to, to pay a little bit more and feel like you have an overqualified person because then yeah, you win the next fight, not just this fight coming up. Yeah, I, I think typically the mindset and not hiring overqualified people stems from the person you're bringing in not being satisfied and fulfilled, right? I'm putting you in a position where I'm not utilizing your skills. You're going to get bored. You're going to get tired. You're going to feel underutilized. You're going to leave. So as long as there's transparency from day one and both sides understand that, hey, listen, you're overqualified for what we need right now, but let's get there. You're going to get there. And both sides buy into that, then I think you're okay with that. Um, but, but typically, not wanting to hire somebody overqualified is number one, either they're cheap, like I used to be, or had to be, and, or number two, they just don't want to put you, they're, they're protecting you, right? Mm -hmm. um, because as I tell people all the time, you know, when they come in and I interview them four times for a job, right? Another interview, I'm like, you know, listen, I'm not doing you a favor if I put you into this position and you end up not working out. That's on me, right? If you come in, you take this job, I make an offer, you take it, and I've got to let you go in six months, or you got to leave in six months because you're not happy. That's on me. That's my mistake. So I got to make sure. And, and so, you know, the other thing is I'm very, very careful about hiring. You know, I'm, I'm, I mean, not that I don't hire, but I really vet the applicants really, really well and make sure that I think about it. I mean, I used to be notorious for 
hiring somebody on the spot at the interview. They come in for the first interview, boom, you're hired, start tomorrow, right? I don't do that anymore, right? Just because I want to sleep on it, I want to think about it, I want to talk to other people. And, and you know, I'm an impulsive type guy, so I'd like to make decisions quick because I don't like to waste time on it and move on to the next one. But sometimes you just have to, you know, salt it down a little bit. And I think choosing who you surround yourself with and who's going to lead your business is definitely one of those times. Do you subscribe to hire slow, fire fast? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Okay. 100%. That's all I need to know there. You just talked about surrounding yourself with people, right? And I want to I want to get into I want to get into relationships and how they affect uh how do you how do you approach you're an established guy, you've had friends forever. How do you approach relationship building these days? Personal relationship building? Like I, friends or is, isn't it a little bit of everything? I mean, do do, do, do you, a trap question. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not a trap question, man. Yes. I, I, I mean, who do you, how do you choose people to bring into your life, man? Like, do you, do you have like a strategy for personal? Or do you only think about it in business and you, you already shut the door on friends? Like I, so I have to assume that thing. that's not true because we yeah. become somewhat friends, right? Yeah. So, so here's my thing. My, my, my barrier to entry is pretty high, right? Mm -hmm. So to, to get into what I call that circle, the barriers, the barriers high. And, and it's high because I love and I appreciate my friends so much. Right. So, you know, I've got, you know, X number of friends. And, and by the way, the friends I've had, I've had forever, right? And I can, you know, I, I, can, I, can, I can rattle them off to you. Um, and, and so for me to just let anybody else in that circle without a high bar, number one, so, so the more friends I've got, the less time I've got to spend with the ones that I've got, right? So, you know, if you, if you don't meet that high bar, the high standard, then I, you know, because when I bring it, and because I have that high standard, my friends know that. So if I bring somebody in, much like what happened with you, right? Danny brought you in. So that automatically gives you credibility, right? Because we trust his, his standard, right? You know, Danny's a little, you know, but so, <laughs> so, so, so that's a big responsibility, right? So if I'm going to say, Hey, you know what, man, you, you're in this circle and I'm going to introduce you to my friends and everything. And you, you better, you better be legit, right? And mm -hmm. so that means that now I've got to spend my time because, you know, I like to spend time with my friends. I like to check in with them, see how they're doing. So, you know, the more of those I've got, the less time I've got to spend with, 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 with those friends. And, and, you know, so, so again, back to that setting the bar and, and, and what's, what, what's there, what, what is it that sets the bar? It's, um, do you inspire me, right? What do you bring to the table? And I mean, and it doesn't mean to be that you're rich or you're famous or, you know, you're, just what do you what do you, you know, do you inspire me in any way? Do you, you know what what can I learn from you? You know, when I when I go hang out with you, do I feel good hanging out with you or do I feel like I just had all the energy sucked out of me? Right? Yeah. Right? Not that it's always gotta be, you know, rosy, but if it's ten times out of ten, every time you go hang out, I feel like I feel like a punching bag by the time I get home. Like, yeah, you know, maybe I shouldn't hang out with this guy so much, you know? Yeah. So I approach I approach friendships very strategically. And, and that started for me probably right, uh, right around the end of Let's Talk Seven. Like, right, and I don't think it had anything to do with that. I think it just had to do with my age. And, you know, and, and, and I, I came across some really quality people. And I was like, I want more of that and less of that. Right. And then that's what I just strategically, and I would say that I was right around 30 years old and I was like starting really you know, eliminating the minutia and bringing in the quality, you know, and, and valuing those relationships. I mean, I value my, my friends' relationships. I mean, I've, you know, my friends I've had for 30 years, you know. Makes a lot of sense, man. Something longer. I mean, Ricky and I have known each other since we were 10, you know. Yeah. So. That makes a lot of sense, man. It makes a lot of sense, right? Like, I think the, the idea of, number one, starting you value your time as you get older makes a ton of sense, right? As soon as you become aware of the fact that you have limited time, you realize that it becomes, it's an asset that you need to diversify adequately, right? Just like, just like your investments. And then it makes a lot of sense that once you, once you find people, once you get into an echelon of people that make you feel a certain way, you feel weird about the people that don't, right? Like I'm, I'm experiencing a little bit of that myself right now, just because I, I decided to really just challenge the shit out of myself these last two years. And it's, it's very much, 
I, I look at people funny that are complacent now, right? Like it's hard to, it's hard to understand when someone's complacent. And then even before that, when I got really involved in the nonprofit networking circles of Miami and I started realizing, you know, not everybody is a, yeah, bro, let's go to live, bro. And, and, and people are working on like significant things. It's hard to, it's hard to think of insignificant things. So I, I that, that, that rings real true, man. That makes a lot of sense. How did, uh, why don't you tell our listeners how we met? Uh, you got invited into our, <laughs> talk about circles. That, that fantasy football, like, we, I was pissed. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? I mean, we've had this, we, this league's been going on for almost 20 years from before fantasy was on the internet. And we just have to write it down. Yeah. And, and it, I think that only openings have only shown up, like maybe four openings have come up where somebody can slide in. And all of a sudden, this guy Pablo comes in. I'm like, Pablo, Pablo, Paco. I used to call him Paco. Paco, that's <laughs> right. That's like, right. Paco. And then like, his name is Pablo. I'm like, Paco. <laughs> um, so you know, but but then you go back to listen. Danny brought him in. There must be a reason for it, right? Yeah. So um, you know, I think I think initially, you know, people were like, "Who's this guy?" And then I think you were pretty well received very warmly, very quickly. I mean, it was definitely easy to be able to just replicate the same three jokes that you guys keep saying and, uh, and fit in. I thought that <laughs> yeah, was... Right. I guess so. <laughs> that's, that's, we're not very creative anymore. We've been around each other so long that we're not very creative anymore. Dude, after like, after like the maybe third or fourth email, I was like, man, I got to go grab lunch with this guy because I can't just say the same joke over and over again. I got to get some new material. And then that created material for other people to just call me weird that I'm the guy that wants to like go pick up other dudes and suddenly leave. <laughs> Took a took a lot of uh, weight off of Tad's shoulders when I started trying to pick up the other gentleman in the league. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> and then so so that so that encounter was cool, man. So so you finally you know I tried I tried grabbing lunch with you. Uh, well, first of all, were, were you intimidated by my fantasy football knowledge? Is that is that was also part of your competitive? I was a little bit intimidated because the other guys are such morons. <laughs> I mean, it was easy money every year. Kind of you show up and you actually know your shit a little bit. I'm like, fuck. I remember you telling me that. I remember you being like, oh, dude, now I got to try in this league. This sucks. Now no, I actually got to try. I won like three championships or four years or something. I'm like, now I got to actually try. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it was good. It was good. My one year, my one year, um, oh, what's it called? What, what is it when you have like a, like a residency, right? Like I had a one year yeah. residency and then, and then I went. But it worked out well, man. I, listen, I, I took that opportunity. I saw, I saw the name of the people on that list and I'm like, you know what, man? I'm going to go all in on this. If I, have, if I have an opportunity to be vouched for by Danny, and be able to make friends by making fun of a bunch of guys that like to make fun of each other. I'm going to take that, right? <laughs> so, not, everybody, not everybody can handle that banter, by the way. Oh, man, yeah. A lot, no, of, I mean, people, a lot of people look at us and say, God, you guys are such dicks. <laughs> yeah, man, if you're not making fun of you, it means you don't like you. <laughs> Worry when we stop making fun of you, you know? That's what we need to worry that is, uh, that's how I, that's how I build relationships, man. Like, even, even this guy, the founder of Rabbit, right, that, I'm, that, that we're talking about. The reason I like this guy is because the moment that I met him, I'm at this capitalism.com conference. And you know, like, you know, these entrepreneur conference, like you went to, you go to the digital marketing one in, uh, in, in, in San Diego, right? Like, it, yeah, traffic and conversion, right? Like it, it feels like there's a contest to see who can dress the fucking worst. Right. So like, but I'm always, I'm always in my, I'm always in like my blazer, right? Like obviously today I'm not right. But like, I'm always in my blazer and, and whatever. And I walk up to this like group of three guys that are all three of them are in suits. And I just walk up like, Hey man, I guess this is the suit club, huh? <laughs> the two of the guys are just like, who the fuck is this guy? And then, and then, and then Nathan, who's the, the founder of rabbit just immediately starts making fun of me. He's like, Oh yeah. You know, like, well, this is a suit. What the fuck are you wearing? You know? And then, and then he asked me if I'm from Miami. He's like, Miami, dude, why not? Why not Mexico city, dude? Why would you even stop at Miami? If you're going to go that low. And I'm like, I immediately like this guy. Right. So so yeah, man, I, I agree. I like, uh, I like building rapport through, um, through getting made fun of. I think it's a, uh, I think it's a Hispanic thing, no? I don't know. I think, you know, I don't know. I know J Jason handles it pretty well. He's yeah, nice. Jason's good. Yeah, 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 Jason's good. Man. That's cool, man. So what's next for you right now, man? Like, what do you, what are you focused on? You're focused on hungry pet. You say you get into, you, you say you get into businesses to make money, not to exit. What's what's okay, your to make money to make money to create jobs? Yeah, to build right. Sorry, to build, man. Yeah, to build. To build. But you can't build unless you're making money. The business got to be sustainable, right? Yeah, yeah. And if you're not making money, you can't build. You can't create more jobs. So, so what drives me is the building, right? Yeah. I mean, okay. 
I mean, luckily I've been fortunate enough that I don't really need any more money, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm good there. I mean, you can always use more, but I'm good there. Mm -hmm. um, so, so why do I keep coming out of retirement or semi-retirement? It's just because I get bored. I feel like I need to create and build something, right? I don't know how to paint. So I'm not going to start painting or, or you know, sculpting or, or screwing around with clay and shit like that. Mm -hmm. so the way I build is, you know, I build businesses. And, and so in order to build businesses, you know, business has to be sustainable. You do that by generating more revenue than expenses. Is that, I mean, I'm, this is out of left field, man, but is that why you're so into fitness, right? Like, is that why you're into bodybuilding? Is that, is that correlated? I'm not into bodybuilding. You had me fooled. I'm into fitness. <laughs> um, I'm into fitness because it was something that always seemed unattainable for me, right? Especially early on in my life. Um, so it, it, was, it was something that was unattainable for me and something that I thought that, you know, I, I, I guess at some points, I, I sometimes I gave up on it, right? Like I tried to give up, and then I finally just one day had enough, and I was like, "Fuck this! If that guy can look like that, I can look like that," you know. And I just applied myself, man. And I just really put my head down and applied myself, and when I saw that it was achievable and I could do it, it's just it's a high like no other. Um, my son, I have a young son; he's ten years old. Nikki. I want to, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be fifty-two in March. I want to be around a long time for him, you know. So that's, that's definitely a motivating factor for me. Um, I got a young girlfriend. I got to keep up with that. Good look, good looking young girlfriend, man. I completely, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I got to keep up with that. So that's another motivating factor. So yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, that's what drives that. And what are your next goals, man? Like, what did you have? Um, how do you, how do you set goals? Do you have like yearly goals? Do you have like uh, five-year goals, stuff like that? Are you in the moment? Oh man, I, you know, I wish I did. I don't. I, I for me, it's more, I think project based. I mean, I, I did. You know, I did do something earlier this year called Lifebook, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of. It was actually that's actually exactly what it was. It was setting goals, but it's it's kind of like a business plan for your life, right? And it, and it hits all these different um, uh, areas from financial to spiritual to personal growth, quality of life, relationships. So you kind of go through all of these verticals. And set where your goals, right? This is this is where I want to go, and, and so, so I did go through that exercise. But historically, historically I, I haven't done that. Historically, I, you know, like like for this business, I sat down and I decided to go and I said, okay, well these are the goals for this business, right? So this set is kind of looking like project-based goals, right? Mm -hmm. um, in terms of being a father and, and and my relationship with my son, I've set goals on what I want that to look like. Do I sit down every year and revisit them? No, I probably should. You know, I, I probably shouldn't, but no. those, are, those, are, those are there. Um, you know, I, uh, you know I, there's people that sit down every 31st and they set their goals for the following year and they review the ones from the prior year. I think that's a great exercise. I think yeah. that's a great exercise to do that. Um, if you stay true to it though, right? I mean, it's very easy to sit down and write the goals, but if you, it's not just writing the goals, it's, it's writing the plan to get you through those goals, right? So if you simply say, by next year, I want to have a business that generates $5 million annual run rate. Okay, that's a great goal. Now, what's your plan? What are you gonna do? That means that by January, I need to have an idea. By February, I gotta have funding. By March, I gotta do this, right? So map out the whole plan. Coming up with just a goal is gonna be enough. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, I look at that, you know, I, I look at my goals kind of in that way, right? And, and, and so I, I, I I break them down and I have the different steps and the different hurdles that I got to get through. But, you know, I, I don't do it really in a structured way. I th so, you know, I'm a believer that, um, you know, there's this, there's this podcast called the growth now movement where we ask people, you know, what is your definition of success and what are your three things that you do every day to, uh, to, to achieve it. Right. Like, and to me, um, you know, loosely, it's kind of, you know, success is basically happiness, right? And, and, and finding a way to, like, understand what I'm really good at, that, that I like doing, finding a way to serve others with it, monetizing that thing and going for it, right? And like, my, my three things are, I think that you need to, to find that you gotta, you gotta seek it, you gotta call for it. And then you gotta, and, and, and then you gotta iterate, right? Like, you gotta practice it. So is there anything that you're seeking right now? Or what would you say you're hunting or what are you seeking? I mean, everybody's seeking happiness, right? So, I, I mean, you know, I, I'd like to say that, 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 that I'm seeking 
being content with, with myself, but I'm probably not. I don't think I ever want to reach a point where I'm content with anything. Hey, got there, right? Because then, then what, right? Yeah, then what? Um, just to keep moving, I think. I just want to. I just want to have. I, I want to have something that motivates me to keep striving for more, right? I don't want to reach the point. I'm scared of reaching the point where I'm like, I ah, forget. At this point, I'm good where I'm at. You know, mm-hmm. uh, complacency or, or a sense of not wanting to improve and better yourself. That that to me is super scary. I think I would feel that. Because I mean, my whole life I've always wanted more. I wanted to strive for more, whether it's I want to travel more, or I want to have a better relationship, or I want to be a better father, or, or you know, I want to have a better I'm gonna be a better businessman, or I want to make more money. And I think if I ever reach the point where I'm like, hey man, how are you that to me seems kind of scary. So are those, the, are those the things that you want more of right now? You want to be a better father? You want a better relationship? Like you want to be as good as relationship? You want to make those are, all, those are all very good things. I mean, you know, yeah. you know being, being, being a better father is super, super, that's very top of mind for me. You know, I really? second guess myself all the time. Did I do the right thing? Did I handle this right? You know, shit, did I, you know, react? So that, that's super top of mind for me, um, is being, being, being a good father. Um, being in a good, fulfilling relationship, you know, a real, real good one, when we're on, when that, without, without all the headaches, yeah. that's, that's top of mind for me. Yeah. Um, leaving the world a better place, my grandfather told me that very early on, very, very early on, so, I mean, it's kind of cliche now, but that's, that's, that's kind of important for me, right? Making enough of a difference in whether it's by empowering other people or teaching other people or creating something that just has impact for many, many years after I'm gone. That's, that's super important to me. Yeah. I guess my last question would be how I like to, any, any kind of time I'm building a relationship with anybody or networking, man, like, how can I help you, man? Like, is there, what, what are, what, what, what is there, what's, what's going on in your life or your business that there's any way that I can add any value to, man? I'm looking for a good, uh, Customer experience person, customer service person right now. <laughs> customer service know, person? Man, honestly, you know, I'm just messing with you, but I'm, uh, I'm right now. I mean, you know, I think, um, you know, I mean, it's all right. Introductions are great. Okay. Um, but I, I think that right now we are, uh, we're in a pretty good place. Mm-hmm. Um, you could always, I'd love to meet smart people that can bring value. Okay. Um, you know, this kid from Rabbit. But you, you know, I, I got a, you know, you sent me an email with some information that's going to go through. Yeah, yeah. Read the email, and, and, and obviously you think very highly of him. Yeah, yeah. I think you like him. Whether I like the business or not. Yeah, yeah. I still like to sit with a with a guy and meet him. Yeah. Seems like he's done a lot of things at a very early age. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, man. I mean, listen. If there's anything I can do for you, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to help you. You're obviously on a mission, right? Yeah. To, uh, to 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 make Pablo a household name. So. I have conversations about that. Trying to be Gary Vee, man. Trying to, you know. <laughs> you and I had a conversation about that. I gave you some 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 thoughts on that back then. Yeah. And so I mean, I, I see you made some changes and so forth. So I think it's exciting. I mean, I like your post. I like to see when you uh, when you speak, you get up there, you hold the microphone, and you know, so keep doing, keep doing you. I appreciate it, bro. And where do you, you know, the last thing is, where do you? Where do you find a sense of community, man? Like I'm, I'm, I, like I think community is kind of like one of these things that is becoming more and more important as we get more and more segregated and more and more categorized and advertised and 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 convinced in different ways, right? And I'm and I'm trying to prove that it works for business development, which I have some some good ideas for for hungry pet that I don't know if you guys are. I don't know. You want to you want to workshop that? Do you guys have Do you guys have any kind of community creation? plan at at hungry pet anything like that do you have a facebook our, group our or whole mantra is about community man tell me about it that's we are a community of people we're building a community of people that want to give their dogs a better life i mean it's all about that's what hungry bark the hungry bark brand is right hungry bark is a brand under hungry pet nutrition and it's all about community it's about passion for the dogs it's the people that sleep with their dogs the people that you know, spend more than they should on their dogs. The people that 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 look at their dogs not as a pet but as a family member—that's mm-hmm. the community we're building. That's the community we want. That's who our customer is. That's who our, who our, who our that's who our product serves. Right. Um, so that is top, top, top of mind 
for us here at Hungry Mark. Where does that where does that community live? Like, is that is it in a you know like I I'm a big believer that to build to build a community you need to have some kind of stage, right? Like the community is an audience. You have to have some kind of way that you can interconnect people's value from the within the community to each other, right? Like so whether it is a whether it's a Facebook group that you can facilitate interactions between the members, whether it's a podcast that you can highlight somebody who's your customer that's doing great things. How are you guys driving that? Yeah. So, so, I mean, that's all being figured out now, right? Okay. We're pre-launched. So yeah. Yeah. Um, but social media obviously is, is a natural place. To make cool. Yeah. Our customer is very much a millennial type. Um, yeah. So, so they're very comfortable in that, in that arena. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's it's a it's a Facebook group, it's an Instagram uh, audience. Um, it's you know, it's it's weekly webinars and chats with different experts that we bring in and how to better care for their dogs. Yeah, uh, I mean, that, it, it's all very digital in our cool, world. cool man. Can I drive anybody towards Hungry Pet? Like, is there a website that you want to say? Is there- Hungrybark.com. You can sign up for the uh, for the, uh, the beta list when we start launching product. Um, there's an email form that you fill out. But hungrybark.com, that'll be live, hopefully uh, middle to end of December uh, with a soft launch, with our supplement line, and then our, our food line launches mid to end of February. Very cool, man. Do you want, do you want followers to your, to your social media? I know that you're pretty, you're pretty active. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Add, uh, for the business? Yeah, Either add one, hungrybark, huh? yeah, add hungrybark uh, on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram. Awesome, man. Nick, I appreciate it, bro. Nick Molina on LinkedIn. Nick Molina on LinkedIn. I'll link everything in the uh, show notes once I figure out how to do show notes and publish episodes. This is going to be the first batch. And listen, man, if, if I would love to, when you guys are talking community, I would love the opportunity to come in and just give you anything that I have to give to like, I like, you know, for me, nothing, nothing I'm doing is IP. I'm just trying to like, Get it out there, man. I think we should. I mean, I, I might take you up on that. Maybe that's something you can do for me. That would be how I can help you, man. I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll put you in touch with, um, well, well, maybe you, me, and, uh, and, our, and our head of marketing, Ada, will we'll, we'll sit down and, and, and kind of strategize. Cool. I'm an open book, man. I, I, I think the more people I help, the better. So okay. thank you so much, man. I really appreciate awesome. it, bro. All right, brother. Take, take care, bro. Nick Molina, episode two, you learned that no matter where it is, the underpriced attention exists and you can grow a business of it. You also learned how important it is to invest and hire the right people. Thank you, thank you so much for following along. I want you on this journey. You're the best. I'll see you soon. Share this episode with your friends. Peace. For the crowd, she danced like an angel, the queen is one lake, nimble as a thimble from any small state.